for one, I know what it's like to keep my attempts hidden away from everybody. And for two, I know what it's like to open up about them. I see a difference when I have started opening up, which is why I am opening up more about it. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, we're not very good at it. That includes me. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm certainly going to try. Now, we are talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or you can message us on social media at Suicide Noted. I really appreciate everyone who continues to listen and support There are more and more people hearing these stories by these survivors, so let's keep that going. If you'd like to help us out in some other ways, we have got a new Patreon page with a few different tiers. I'll include that information in the show notes. Finally, a favor, please. If you listen on Apple, take a moment, maybe right now, to rate and review this podcast. It really does help. Today, I am talking with Tutok. Tatok lives in Alaska, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hi, Tatauk. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Am I saying your name correctly? Tatok. Tatok. All right. I'm going to do my very best. Uh, That's no worries. To, to say your name correctly. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. So you are in Alaska? Yes, I am. What part of Alaska do you live? I'm in Anchorage. Okay. I've never been there. And you are the first person uh, I've spoken to from Alaska for this podcast. So thank you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I think we connected through a post that I may have put up uh, in one of the Facebook groups. Yes. And... I want to ask you, what compelled you to reach out or respond back? For one, I know what it's like to keep my attempts hidden away uh, from everybody. And for two, I know what it's like to open up about them. And um, I see a difference when I have started opening up, which is why I am opening up more about it. Yeah. Yeah. So are you comfortable sharing with me in as much as you want to, of course, the attempt or attempts? Is there one or more than one? There's actually 15 attempts. And so how far back does the first one go? The first one was when I was 15 years old in 1995. What happened? That was a lot going on at the time. Um, Obviously, I was a teenager. Um, I've already lost my dad to suicide by then um, when I was nine. And so I uh, I had a stepdad 
and just with everything going on with my stepdad and my family and I just wasn't being heard with all the trauma that was going on and so that's what led to my first attempt yeah yeah at the time uh, I was going to church and they were talking about suicide and I don't know if it was something that got triggered around the same time that I heard another story because it was I heard about it from somebody else first about how they attempted and that's how I got my idea Mm-hmm. And it just seems like the more that I talked about my trauma, because um, I was being sexually abused at the time, and it just seems like nobody wanted to hear me. So that was the only voice that I could, I guess, get a, get some attention to is what I felt like. Seems like nobody nobody wanted to listen to me until I until I attempted. Mm. It sounds like it was planned at least a little bit, or was it more impulsive? Kind of both. It was kind of planned because I did, but then it was impulsive at the time too. Yes. What's it like to attempt and then wake up and you're still here? Honestly, that's really disappointing, um, to be honest. I was Mm. very disappointed. Um, I beat it myself over that. I still heard you know, even after any attempt, I still have other, hear other people and tell me that I was selfish, that and all the stigma that goes with it. It's very depressing. <laughs> yeah. Because you had said one of the things you had said was you wanted them to listen. Yes. And so I am wondering, and I, you know, another question I often ask is how people responded uh, once they learned of this. Did anyone listen? How did they respond to you? Uh, actually, no response. Just usually the stigma all these years. A lot of people hung up on me if I called them. Um, I've had people walk away from me if I told them. Um, mm. I was more rejected than lis- than having any listening at all from those around me. Wow. That must have been very difficult, to say the least. It is, yes. You were 15, so that's an, an added element, I suppose, in that you're and that's can be challenging for a lot of people, but this is a different level, obviously. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Tatok, right? Tatok. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Is that an indigenous name? It is Eskimo Inupiat. Yes. Eskimo Inupiat. Oh, okay. Is there certain things that are especially challenging for your indigenous group or tribe, or however I should say that correctly? Interesting. Say that um, because I was taught the values uh, as a child, and after my dad committed suicide when I was nine, um, it just seems like all the values were wiped away from me, and the stigma stood still. So I was kind of uh, the outcast after that. So that laid a big stigma around it. People knew. Some people knew. Yes. Mm. And I'm wondering, given that you also shared that you had many more attempts after that, 14 more, uh, mm-hmm. what, what sort of happened, sort of open-ended, but what, what's your life like 16, 17, 18, and then into your sort of early adult years? What's, what's going on? I had a lot of trust issues. I have self-isolated myself all these years since then. You know, if I had a job, I kept to my to my job with my friends there that I made. It was very rare that I got out of my comfort zone to go out and do things, which I did um, to try to change it. But it just seems like it was masking everything that I was doing. And I'm still, even before COVID, I was already isolating. And so it just kind of added to that. And it just seems like I don't have any outside support out of what little I already have accomplished throughout years. Right. So from when you first tried at 15 years old and until now, and I, it sounds like it's all been challenging. 
It has, yes. Yeah. Being careful with my words here. So if I'm off, let me know. Mm-hmm. It's something that you revisit. However often it is, you go back to the attempts. Actually, it's um, not more than just revi- re- revisit anymore. It's actually manifested inside of me, um, which is another reason why I'm speaking up because this is something that didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that I didn't indulge myself in, in my younger years until I got older and the stressors of the adulthood and everything else go on with it. It's an everyday uh, struggle for me now. Um, and it's not that I haven't spoken up to people for reaching out for help. It's just the processing part and trying to get away from it again. Yeah. It's not easy to unlearn. <laughs> no. In that time, in the last what 20 plus years, is there any kind of treatment you've gotten or support that has provided any relief? Honestly, yes. Um, I started EMDR therapy a little over two years ago and continuing that. And there is some relief. It doesn't, it's not a cure, but yes, it has helped a lot more than I first thought it would. (laughs) How's that? Actually, I'm not sure I know what that is. What is EMDR? I can't say exactly. It's just using your eye movements and it's more somatic. Um, mm-hmm. So you're feeling the feelings and then you get to sit with it and process the feelings with it. Right. And at what point did you start to say, I'm going to look for places online or off to share what I've gone through, or at least hear other people's stories? It started actually because I was in a mental health ward in 2003, and Mm -hmm. um, I struggled with even afterwards, but there was a story maybe five, six, seven years ago that um, opened up and started telling a similar story to mine, but they didn't attempt suicide, but they were stuck inside the hospital and they needed someone to help them um, get out. So I haven't been on medications for almost eight, nine, 10 years now. So I chose to use my story for that. And ever since I've started looking for more ways to open up about it. Mm. And have you found that the people that hear your story now respond a little differently than those in your life back in the day? Yes, definitely. I've had a lot of people tell me, thank you for sharing. Thank Mm. you. I don't feel alone. And it's not that I want others to feel the same way. It's just, you know, trying to look for a connection as well as what I've always been looking for. Yes, absolutely. When was the last attempt? That was back in July, 2016. There was, it was two attempts in one week. Sounds like a pretty tough week. It was, yes. Yeah. So it's been four to five years that you've not tried. Yes. Okay. So what, what changed? Do you know? The biggest thing is catching myself before I attempt. And Mm -hmm. the biggest reason why is because I have been arrested for attempting suicide. And I was really embarrassed walking or being wheelchair into the hospital while handcuffed while everybody was staring at me. So ever since then, I've been more turned away by people before an attempt, um, so which makes it harder to get the support I need. Um, It seems like they want to wait till I reach crisis mode. Right. And which I'm trying to prevent. <laughs> We're not particularly good at prevention at all. In, in, no. Yeah. So I got to go back, back up for one second here, because you said something that startled me. And it's something that doesn't come up very often uh, in my conversations. You had said that you were arrested for attempting suicide. Yes. When was that? 2016. One of the last two attempts that I've had. Yes. 
And is that a state law? Do you have any idea? Because I know a lot of states, you can't be arrested for attempting suicide. Actually, no, I don't think it's a state law because I've heard of someone else being arrested outside of Alaska as well in the U.S. I hear it's more of a U.S. thing than anywhere Hmm. else. Mm -hmm. So when you're arrested for attempting suicide, you are, what route do they put you on? Jail or a mental health facility or something else? They took me to the emergency room. Did you end up being a convicted criminal for attempted suicide? I had no charges against me or nothing. I think the more reason so, because I know at one time, I will say that it did take about six people to hold me down in my younger years, in my 20s. Um, So I can kind of see why they would do that. So I wouldn't be hurting other people as well as myself. Right. Yeah. Now, this is one of the tougher questions I ask anybody, because I don't know if there's really an answer, but I sometimes ask it. And that is, is there under all of this stuff and these attempts a why? And I don't want to try to simplify something that's probably quite complicated, but I'll let you answer that. Is there a why as to these attempts? It was more not of a why. It was more of a justification on my point. For me, for years, I told myself my dad did it. You know, why Why can't I then? And that's right. how I felt throughout the years and, and just holding on to that. And that's the best answer I can give. Yeah. And you were rather young when your father took his own life. Yeah. Yes. I was nine. Do you have any idea? I mean, do you remember how you responded to that? I do because nobody told me that he committed suicide and I found out on my own while he was in the hospital. He was in the hospital for three days. Yes. Mm, I can't imagine that. I still can't. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I always hear is people like to tie in drugs and alcohol into into the into that. I'm not saying that I haven't attempted once while I was drinking, but I will say that 14 times out of 15, I was completely sober when I've attempted. We don't have to have those uh, tied to our suicides at all. It's just more than that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of suicides have nothing to do with addiction. Mm-mm. The person is not intoxicated or high. Right. Sure. Are there others? So when you think back to the way people responded, the things they said or didn't say or did that you're like, no, you're just so not right about this. You're wrong. You don't get it. I think it's more of how our words matter. Even before, you know, um, and just looking for the right support, that's mainly it. And with the stigma, it doesn't help at all. No. It just adds to it. For sure. Do you have any idea why it is that there is such a stigma around all this stuff? Because I genuinely don't get it. And I guess that's one reason why I have a podcast. Like, I don't get it. Do you have any idea? Well, for me, it just taught in the church that, you know, suicide is one of the worst things in the Bible. And Mm. that's, and I grew up around a church setting and era and people just believing that, you know, just having the worst sin, but it's not like, you know, sin happens every day. So it's just using that against us and it's not helping at all. No. Mm -hmm. And when you saw my post and you shared a little bit about your life and your battle with me, if you remember, like, what did you say to yourself? Well, to be honest, I was struggling last week when I saw your post and Mm -hmm. I held on to that post this entire week. 
and I did get, you know, a little added extra support that I needed and still will. It just, I want people to know that, you know, we still struggle and we still can do this. And living in the moment is a big thing for me. At the same time, I like to give myself something to look forward to. And this is something, you know, even a week in advance, it gave me something to look forward to that I can give and share to Mm -hmm. others. And that's what I held on to this past week. I am super glad you did. And I'm sure others who hear this are as well. Are there other things in your life that help you stay in the moment or cope and just get by? Because again, I don't know exactly who's listening. And maybe you can share something that might help them. You know, what I tell people is art saved me. I have explored the arts all these years, whether it's Mm. writing, crocheting, reading, drawing, painting, and anything of the arts that Mm -hmm. has helped me get by with the expression of feelings and emotions and just getting it out. Definitely. Yes. Keeping it in and bottling it up is not usually effective. No, it doesn't help at all. I know Anchorage is towards the southern part of Alaska, but you're still up pretty high. Is there any connection to you or perhaps people you know with cold weather and darkness that is exacerbating it? Now we're in winter and there's a lockdown and whatever else. Well, I was born and raised here, so I'm, it's more of not just being used to it. It's just right. getting to know what time of year I need more help in, as in this time of year, um, we're just getting gaining daylight back. And so we're getting more light. Um, and so it's the changes of the seasons is the hardest part. Yeah. You've had a hell of a life to toke. Definitely. Yeah. You've spent at least one period of time in, in a mental health facility, right? Yes, there's more than one. More than one. Were those in any way for you helpful? In the beginning, yes. Um, More so because they were giving me the information. I was also misdiagnosed in my 20s. But it did give me more of what helped me to get to know what I was diagnosed with at the time. And at the same time, no, because it's still the same information that I was given back in 2003. So there's no growth in it after how many years. And mm-hmm. it's just, and we're just repeating the same stuff over and over again. What is a diagnosis you've received that you think might be accurate, if any? It would be PTSD. You had shared you dealt with abuse? Yes. Were there other things also that led to the PTSD or was that the primary thing? It was just a prolonged abuse since I was a child. It's been ongoing, just a lifelong PTSD. Yeah. How many people that know you know about these struggles, maybe including the attempts? Is that something that ever comes up? Actually, I did talk about my safety plan on my Facebook last week to my Mm. Facebook friends and family because I did tell them that I struggle every day. So I figured I'd be proactive and share my safety plan. And I did get thankful responses, but I didn't get the support that I was looking for either. But it did bring it out in the open. What kind of support were you wanting? I, a little, there's a little different kind of support in my way. Just, you know, when I feel like if I need someone to talk to just for a moment compared to if I'm feeling like I need to go into a mental health ward or if I need help, there is sure. a different kind. You know, some people can't handle the crisis part of, you know, me panicking. What should I do? So that's the kind of support more I was looking for. Right. Like we were saying earlier, preventative, not crises management, right? Yes. Yes. Mm. So do you have people in your life, family, friends, or whomever 
that you can talk to? Because I know, including myself, I, I don't have a lot of people I can really talk to and it's hard. Honestly, 100%, no, not 100% that I can talk to them as in I can talk to my therapist. I have to limit myself. I have to set myself boundaries now. Um, and that way I'm not sitting here hearing things I don't want to hear again. You got to be guarded and be careful. Yes, exactly. You had said earlier that you shared your safety plan. Yes. On Facebook, but you don't share much with some people in your immediate life. So that must be tricky. Yes. Right? Definitely. Yeah. That's another thing that doesn't come up much. I'm really curious about it. What does that typically mean for you or for people, a safety plan? Like, how does that work? The safety plan, it became more of like a checklist to me, Mm -hmm. uh, my safety plan, um, because it has everything that I like to do on there. And if I don't have any interest in my art or anything on my list, and mm-hmm. see how I'm feeling at the moment. It gives me the moment, well, I need to reach out and talk to somebody about this and get this out of me. Um, mm. And I did that this past week and spoke to a new therapist for a moment and just got it out. And even just that moment, you know, it gave me something else to think about after for the next couple of days. And it helped more than I thought it would. <laughs> oh, man, getting it out is, I mean, it's literally can be a lifesaver. It is. I mean, even if there's nothing I can do about it at the moment, um, because there are some things you just can't, um, because, you know, some of my triggers are limited to from the resources that I have out there just as well than Mm -hmm. just having somebody just listening. Yeah. And how do you spend your days typically? That's the thing is I haven't worked in over 13 years. I had a car accident in 2006. And so it just kind of brought everything down. And so just basically hobbies. And if it's not hobbies, it's movies or something of a distraction that I can do. I think I really applaud your, what's the word? Your fight. You've got a lot of fight in you. You've had a lot of setbacks. So that's admirable. Yeah. Thank you. For people who are out there who are feeling the way you feel or maybe the ways that you felt in the past, particularly when you attempted, is there anything that you'd want to say to them if they're listening to this? You know, I'll tell you, I know what it's like to hang on the last thread. I know what it's like to look for hope when there is none. Hmm. And sometimes I do hang on to where there is no hope. And that's the hardest part is going to bed, you know, feeling that way and wondering what's going to happen the next day. And Hmm. it's usually those moments on my last thread that I'm sitting here waiting for something to happen. It's just waiting for it. You know, it may not come out like I expected, but there's always something to look forward to. And if I can't find it, you know, there's times I've had to make it myself. Um, And that's even the hardest part because, you know, with depression, I understand what it's like to sit here and not want to do anything. Mm -hmm. Well, then, you know, tomorrow, you know, if I have nothing to look forward to, then tomorrow, if I want to take pictures somewhere and then just make something of it, you know, I can do that. You know, I, I like graphic arts too. And it's just giving myself a note that I can still hang on. And I'm realizing the self-talk is, is just as good as the native, the negative talk that I've had too with myself. And it's okay that I can do that just, just for the moment. And that's what I live for most of the days. What about to people who know someone in their life, whether it's family or friend or someone else who's struggling and they're worried about them? And they think they might try, or maybe they've tried and they're still struggling. And I'm thinking about all the people in your life 
who really weren't there for you from what you shared mm-hmm. and didn't listen. In many ways, when I have these conversations with people who have tried, you're the best teachers mm-hmm. of, hey, okay, you're out there and you're someone you care about struggling. Try this or think about this. So do you have any thoughts for them? Honestly, just be there. Don't need to talk. Just be in there. I mean, just for hours. I mean, even just watching a movie and saying nothing because the rejection is real and not having somebody listening, not having somebody being there, you know, just having someone be there has been the biggest thing. That's the best I could say. Yeah. Be there. And when we first were talking, you shared with me about multiple attempts, but you also, it's been several years since your last attempt. Yes. I'm wondering, might you try again? Do you think that's a possibility? I know that I am at greater risk for succeeding in a suicide. I know that for a fact. At the same time, I also have a heart condition on the side too that I'm also worried about because I had a cardiac arrest in November. Wow. Which is another reason why I'm speaking up, you know, the things we take for granted. So, I mean, at the moment, no, with my safety plan, I have that set aside. But for later, I cannot speak for that. So just for now, I have everything aside for what I can, so I won't. Yeah. Do what you can do, right? Yes. I didn't understand one part of something that you said. I I don't understand when you say you have a greater likelihood of succeeding. What did you mean by that? That's a, a thing that people talk about with statistics. I'll dig a little deeper only because, you know, we're asking this, but Mm. um, the greater part of it on my end that I will honestly say is after each attempt that I've had, Mm -hmm. I have been told by the medical staff how very fortunate I am and how I have healed after each attempt. But they've also told me in what I have done wrong in order to succeed. So I do kind of know more on top of it as well. And um, that's not something very that people really talk about every day. No, um, no, it's just something that that I see as myself as well that needs to be heard. So, just to be clear, the idea that some people in the medical community were sharing with you ways to increase the likelihood that next time you won't uh, survive the attempt—that's what it felt like at the time, mm. in my words. But uh, wow. I don't think that's what they were thinking in their words. That they're just saying how fortunate I am for what I've done, and that I'm still alive. Got it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah, you are a fighter, Tatok. I mean, 15, and you had mentioned a car accident and a heart condition, and I'm sure there's other things you haven't talked about, mm-hmm. uh, and all the and, and the abuse. So, like, I think it's astounding that you are here and you're still fighting and willing to, in addition to all that, you know, join me on a podcast or be involved in groups online. So pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to circle back. What else would you like to share? I always say I probably don't ask the right questions or the best questions. So I see the ripple effect. Uh, in suicide itself, and including in my family. Mm. Um, When there is one person in a family, like my dad, uh, who committed suicide, it increases the risk for others around them. Mm. I've lost my oldest sister and my oldest brother to suicide as well as along the way. It does 
not help, but it also shows how much more support our families do need out there after that. And it's not just after the death, it's throughout the years. It can be an anniversary date. It can be a birth date. It could be, you know, just any kind of triggering event that we need the extra support. You know, I could see how it can tear a family apart with the stigma at first, but I also can see how closer together a family can get as well. It, it's just not enough words to express for all the support that we need that and all the gaps that we have there for the people out there that we've lost somebody to suicide. Mm. I, I don't usually say I'm sorry because I, for some reason, don't like when people say it to me, but I am sorry for some of the stuff that you've just shared, the the loss, you know, of so many close people in your life. It's Thank got you. to be, yeah. I've uh, in many ways been blessed. I've lost some people. And if you've listened to the podcast that you've heard, I've had lost my best friend. This is more than two decades now, but it is, uh, yeah, it's a beast to say the least, you know? It is. My condolences too. No. I hear you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So you were saying that one way you, you, you sort of stay okay is having stuff to look forward to. So yes. what's on the agenda for later today or tomorrow or next week? What are you looking forward to? Well, this weekend I'm speaking, I'm spending the time with my, with my daughter and grandchildren. Yeah. I'll be looking forward to that. <laughs> Very much. So are they in Anchorage? Yes, they are. And how, how many children do you have? I have three children and three grandchildren. Wow. Congrats on that. Thank you. That must be really, um, I don't know, something. Definitely. <laughs> children Definitely. and have your children have children. What do they call you? They call me Nama. Say again? Nama. Nama. And what do you call them? I'm trying to learn a little of the lingo. Oh, you're asking in Eskimo ways? I mean, if that's how you communicate with each other. Oh, no. I Well, Aka is grandma. Um, Aka is taken by my mom. So I, I chose Nama. <laughs> okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do your kids know about your stuff or some of it? Yes, they do. Not, not all of it, but some of it, yes. Right. Are they included in the people that you were sharing with earlier that weren't there for you? Or are they sort of a different category? Different category. Yeah. I mean, are they okay with it? Do they accept it? Are they confused by it? That's a good question. I don't think they accept it or are confused. I think it's just more of, I, I really can't answer that. It's just, it just seems like they don't know what to say. Um, mm -hmm. is the best I can put it because um, they, they're not saying anything mean about it or anything nice on top of it either. I just think they're a, a loss of words. Right, right. What would you want them to say, if anything? And I, and I ask that because there's a lot of people I know, they just don't know what to say, right? And you had said earlier, just be there, which I think is a great piece of wisdom. But is there something that they or others could say that might help or not hurt? Well, my oldest daughter, just I love you and a hug. That's really much it. Mm. Um, love feels like it only can go so far, but then that really does say a lot, uh, especially in these kind of moments. For sure. I am pretty sure, I don't want to be presumptuous, that uh, your children and your grandchildren are pretty happy that all of those prior attempts didn't work out and that you're here. I see and that. I, and I don't really know you, but I'm super grateful that you had the the interest and the courage to to join me and to share and be so honest and open and it takes a lot of courage you know so thank you for that thank you and for 
listening as well. I try. I try. Awesome. Well, thanks again for, for, for doing this Tatuk. And I hope truly that your, your days are, I don't know. What's the word? Joyful. Thank you. Likewise. Or something close to that. So, all right. <laughs> Th- thanks again. And uh, hopefully we'll connect soon. Definitely. All right. Okay. Thank you again. All right. Take care. Right. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Totoke in Alaska. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. You can message us on Facebook and Twitter at Suicide Noted. And if you'd like to help us out in other ways, we do have a Patreon page set up. It's new and we'd love a little traction. I'll include the link in the show notes. Again, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.